there. I'm putting it out there. You can potentially cure hypothyroidism. Now, years ago, I used to tell people it's incurable. You just need medications for life. Sorry, no, I've seen it cured on carnivore and low oxalate diets. It is possible to cure hypothyroidism. Welcome to another episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. Now, in today's episode, we are talking about oxalates. What are they and are they destroying your health? Now, I talk about oxalates on a daily basis with patients. They are so important. And honestly, they are kind of changing changing my career. I think that's not actually uh, really hyperbole to say that. And they are really helping my patients talking about them. So I wanted to make this episode. This has been a little while in the making. A lot of my doctor colleagues are also asking for information on oxalates because I keep talking about it. So here you go, guys. Okay, so we're going to cover kind of what are oxalates and why are they a problem to human beings? And this is really following on from my uh, what are oxalates, you know, kind of anti-nutrients, sorry, friends or foe that I was covering uh, recently in an episode. So lectins, goitrogens, phytate and oxalates, other anti-nutrients like uh, gluten, uh, for example, as well. So we're going to be talking about what oxalates are and the problems that they can cause. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some case presentations uh, with, with my patients and the kind of benefits that they may be seeing already on some low oxalate diet. So let's get into it. So what are oxalates? Well, oxalates, otherwise known as oxalic acid, there's actually a number of different types of oxalates. We're going to really just refer to them as oxalates. Uh, in this presentation, just to make it easier. Um, these are naturally occurring, actually, in, in in plants mostly, but they do actually also exist in human beings. They're actually produced by humans uh, on a daily basis in small quantities, typically in times of stress. And if you're very stressed, mentally or physically, you're going to produce more. And we're going to come back to that later on, as that is actually quite important. So they're naturally occurring in plants mostly. They're not really in animal sources at all, or to any great degree, I should say. They are a tiny little bit in milk, in dairy. Absolutely minuscule, though, nothing to be alarmed about whatsoever. They are a very good example of an anti-nutrient, as I've already said. They are possibly, honestly, the prime anti-nutrient. I don't think I can kind of stress that enough, actually. Uh, they are really probably the prime anti-nutrient. Uh, so let's get into it a little bit here. This is what oxalates actually look like under the microscope. Uh, now, this is on the left here. This is a picture from Sally K. Norton's book. Uh, if you haven't got it, it's Toxic Superfoods. It's absolutely amazing. I'm going to put a link in the episode description. Honestly, I recommend everybody gets it. It's an amazing book. Sally's hopefully going to come on the podcast soon, which is going to be amazing as well. So they look like these needle-like structures. They can look like needle-like structures. I think this is actually the raphides from a kiwi. Uh, I imagine this, this uh, picture here is actually very much the same. And, you know, imagine millions of these in your body. That's not going to be pleasant. That's going to be pretty uncomfortable if these are stuck in your urinary tract, for example. That's going to be a little bit of an issue. Uh, they can form crystals like this and calcium oxalate are actually uh, the biggest form of kidney stone in the body and they can cause all sorts of other issues like this here. So these are naturally occurring in plants and humans and they have various functions within plants. Now, not really aware of what the function of oxalates are within the human body. There's probably some reason why we're producing them, uh, but they are quite poorly understood. So some of this isn't going to be hard, 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 irrefutable science. So a lot of it is actually just clinical exposure and clinical experience. Uh, they perform various functions in plants like calcium regulation, defenses. We'll come back to that, of course, a big one there. Um, detoxica de de 
detoxification, sorry, interestingly, so they can actually have a role in kind of detoxifying heavy metals, mostly from kind of absorbing those heavy metals and actually chelating them, binding them to stop them actually being an issue. Um, and uh, they can act as a carbon source potentially for photosynthesis in plants as well. We're going to focus on oxalates as toxins in this presentation. Now, really, as I've already suggested, I, I suggest everybody gets a copy of Sally Norton's book. It is absolutely amazing. Toxic superfoods. Uh, hopefully the camera actually has the right way around on that. I'll put a link in the description for the episode. Absolutely amazing book. I've learned an enormous amount from Sally. Recommended to all my patients. Uh, as we've said, oxalates are the, really the biggest form of kidney stones, calcium oxalate. And we've been talking about kidney stones for, for decades, centuries. We've been talking about oxalates for centuries, but probably since about the turn of the 19, 1900s, early 1900s, we kind of stopped talking about oxalates actually most likely because of this kind of transition into, you know, standardizing kind of medical education, which to be fair is, is a good thing. You know, we don't want quacks and, and nonsense doctors going around doing whatever they feel like. We do need some sort of standardization. The problem with that is we had an apprenticeship type model previously where doctors would teach students who were following them, their apprentices, you know, the tricks of the trade. They would teach them what they knew. When we went to a standardized medical education and kind of went into the, well, what can you test? What can you prove? Where's the studies? Where's the x-rays? All these kinds of things. We kind of lost the ability to actually learn from people. And a lot of this kind of knowledge like oxalates actually just ended up disappearing, which is a real shame. Um, they basically can cause chronic immune activation, arthritis, gout, thyroid problems. I mean, you name it, we're going to cover all sorts of things. So Sometimes, you know, this might be quite difficult to get your head around. How can oxalates cause problems in the body? Well, basically, I just want to go back to this picture here. I mean, imagine these millions, millions, possibly billions of these little tiny little needles. These are like 0 0.1, 0 0.2 millimeters. They are really, really tiny. Imagine millions of these in your body, thousands, millions, billions, maybe, all accumulating in your body, accumulating in your joints, accumulating in your bursi, uh, causing bursitis, tendonitis, all these kinds of things. And that's what happens. You know, millions of these in your joints, your thyroid, imagine these in your urinary tract, and you're basically peeing out like millions of needles, tiny microscopic needles. That is going to hurt. And this is a common cause of recurrent cystitis, particularly in women. Uh, so common symptoms of oxalate toxicity. How do you know if you've got oxalate problems? Well, brain fog, very, very common. Fatigue, tiredness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, GI gut issues, muscle pains, weakness, neuropathic problems, thyroid problems, both either over and under active, which is fascinating. Uh, cystitis, recurrent UTIs, as I've said, um, especially if you're getting kind of recurrent UTIs, quote unquote, recurrent UTIs without actually having any bacteria ever really picked up. So if your doctor, you keep going to the doctor with UTIs, your doctor says, I never find anything. It might actually be oxalates that's the problem. And the only way of doing detecting that is to actually just go on a low oxalate diet, get rid of them and see what happens. Um, actually, citric acid can also ease those symptoms if it is oxalate. We'll come back to that. Irregular heartbeats, heart palpitations, joint pains, arthritis, I mentioned that. Autoimmune activation, so important. Oxalates, big driver for that. Uh, rashes as well uh, can be an issue as well with oxalates. Carpal tunnel syndrome, I've got a number of patients with carpal tunnel syndrome. We're removing their oxalates and they are improving. 
anxiety and depression. I'm going to come back to that one in the case studies. Osteoporosis, they can just basically strip mine calcium from your bones, interfere with calcium absorption, causing osteoporosis. Iron deficiency, oh my God, iron deficiency. Literally every single person that, that walks through my door, I can almost guarantee they've got iron deficiency. It is so common nowadays. Literally every single person that walks through my door has iron deficiency unless they are on already a low oxalate or a carnivore diet. Carnivore, of course, being a zero oxalate diet because we're not eating salads, vegetables, etc. And really any kind of chronic pain syndrome can be an issue with oxalate toxicity. But what is the mechanism here? Well, we don't really know for sure. This is not hard, hard science. So I do appreciate there's going to be people out there with a degree of skepticism in this. Absolutely, I 100% agree. Do your own research. Oxalates are poorly understood. There's people like Sally and the amazing work she's doing with her book. They're trying to get the word out there, trying to spur research on. Uh, but it's hard because it's, it's hard to test. There's likely some sort of immune activation, uh, immune system activation down to because of cellular damage, which then activates the immune system, which typically will then become chronic in nature. And then you get this autoimmune activation. Now, the way that I see it, and this is not proven by any means, so this is my hypothesis, is that let's say, for example, hypothyroidism. Now, I have seen it with patients. I have seen hypothyroidism cured from low oxalate diets. There, I'm putting it out there. You can potentially cure hypothyroidism. Now, years ago, I used to tell people it's incurable. You just need medications for life. Sorry, no, I've seen it cured on carnivore and low oxalate diets. It is possible to cure hypothyroidism. My theory here is that the oxalates, for whatever reason, migrate or are put probably more likely because they're not living things. Uh, we can't you know, detoxify them with cooking, for example, because they're not alive. They probably migrate or, or, or make their way, the body puts them into, say, the thyroid, for example. Now, they cause microscopic kind of cellular damage, and we'll come back to that a little bit later on how they do that, but they can cause cellular damage. That cellular damage then, the cell kind of activates what we call apoptosis or this, this, this program cell death, quote unquote, telling the body, hey, look, I'm a problem. I'm actually damaged. I might become an issue. I think you need to kill me. I think I need to die to stop, you know, causing cancer and so on. So the body kills it. Everybody's happy. Everything moves on. But what happens when you get this overactivation, this kind of chronic, this long-term problem with the thyroid cells at some point my theory this is not proven but my theory is that at some point the body says hey you know what thyroid i'm having a lot of problems with you all of your cells keep telling me that you're that they're problems is it just that you are a problem mr mr thyroid and should i just kill you the whole thing and then we get this kind of activation of this autoimmune cascade when enough of those oxalates have caused enough damage, it kind of tips over the edge into this threshold, then we get the autoimmune Hashimoto's, whatever, thyroiditis. Now, that is my theory. It is very much not proven, but I think it kind of makes sense on a logical level. So how do they cause this damage? Well, crystal formation, the damages, uh, the cell membranes, mitochondria, cellular structures, these needles just basically pierce and stab cells, causing damage. 
oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, and uh, this possibly is related also to cancer. I'm going to come back to that as well with the metabolic mitochondrial theory of cancer, where all really is starting from mitochondrial dysfunction. And another big one, anti-nutrient activity, this absorption problem and this interference with uh, with things like iron, calcium, etc. Uh, let me just, I've lost my place here. So um, what kind of levels are actually toxic for oxalates? Now, we don't actually know. There's no, again, this is not hard, hard, hard science. It's very, very hard to study oxalates, which makes it very tricky. But probably around four to 5,000 milligrams intake in kind of a 24-hour period is enough to kill you, most likely. And this causes kind of multi-organ failure, usually kidney failure, but can cause multi-organ failure and basically death. Case reports, that are case reports of fatalities from sorrel soup. Uh, this was reported in The Lancet in 1989, and I believe this is the example that Sally uses in her book, Toxic Superfoods, excellent book. Um, the case of the sorrel soup consumption where this, this, I think it was a gentleman, actually died from consuming sorrel soup perfectly well prior ate the sorrel soup and then died. Pretty harsh, really. Now, most people are not going to be getting four to 5,000 milligrams a day. If you are, if you look at this and you do some research and you realize you're eating that much, my God, please stop. You are killing yourself. These will accumulate over time. It's not like we're just, most people are not eating that much at once. Let's do a little bit of math to work this out. So we produce in the human body, I mentioned we produce it around somewhere between maybe 10 and 20, possibly up to 40 milligrams a day. Increasing stress will increase that production, both you know mental, physical, it's all the same in the human body. On average, we can excrete around 50 milligrams a day kind of in total, roughly give or take on average, from kidneys, skin, you know, it's a big cause of pimples, for example, just pushing it out of your skin and getting blocked glands, eyes, that sleep you get in your eyes, all those crusties, as the Australians call them, that's all oxalates. It's all oxalates. I never actually realized that until I kind of one day thought, I never heard it. And I thought, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't babies ever get kind of crusty sleep in their eyes? They don't. Kids don't really get it that much. Kind of, it's like an adult thing. And I think that's an accumulation of these oxalates and then they're actually being pushed out of the body. Um, slight tangent, but I've got a patient actually going through a low oxalate with carnivore actually at the moment, and they are just dumping like crazy. We're going to come back to dumping later. And they are just literally, you know, they're just telling me emails every day, like just literally just scraping them from the eyes continuously. Anyway, back to accumulation, getting off tangent. Um, we absorb about 10 to 15% of what we consume. Now, if we do some, you know, basic maths, average consumption is somewhere around 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams a day on average. That means about maybe 150 to 200 milligrams of absorption per day. Now, we can only excrete about 50 milligrams a day plus what we produce, which really gives us a net effect of probably somewhere between 100 and, and 150, maybe even 200 milligrams of absorption per day. Now, that over time is going to accumulate. It has to. It doesn't just magically disappear. It has to go somewhere. And these are incredibly toxic to the human vascular system. So the body basically just puts it wherever it possibly can to just kind of get it out of the system. So if we're accumulating, let's say, 150 milligrams a day, 
how much might you have in your body? Now, I guess the example is, you know, how old are you? The viewer, the listener, if you're listening in the podcast, in the car, hello. If you're on YouTube, hello as well. Let's say, for example, you're a 50-year-old woman. I use women because women tend to eat high oxalate foods a lot more than men, so they are probably a lot more susceptible to this. Let's just assume you're accumulating 150 milligrams a day, 365 days a year, times 50 years of your life, probably about average. That's about 2.7 million milligrams of oxalates. Now, put that in a bit num numbers, which is a little bit more easy to understand. That is about 2.7 kilograms of oxalates. That's 2.7 kilograms of needles and crystals in your body, accumulated. Think about 2.7 kilograms. I haven't really got a, a good example here, but I've got another book here. This is uh, Nina Teichel's Big Fat Surprise. I mean, if that was like full of needles, it probably would still be bigger than that, like two books worth. I mean, 2.7 kilograms, that is a chunk. And these might be needles in your body. Is it any wonder that they might start to cause maybe some problems? You've got that accumulating in your body. So I guess the bigger question then is, well, when do they cause problems? Does it have to reach like, okay, 2.7 kilograms. And if I'm 2.6, I'm perfectly fine. If I'm three kilograms, well, I'm screwed. Well, no, not necessarily. We don't really know is the honest answer. I mentioned this is not hard, hard, hard science, but it's a bit random and there's probably some genetic predisposition to it. So for example, I'm going to use myself as an example here. I get painful thumbs right down here at the base of my thumb, if you can see on the camera that I'm pointing to, the, to my base of my thumb, over what we call the carpometacarpal joint, the CMC joint. Very, very painful. I actually saw a lady today with incredibly painful CMC pain as well. She's probably got the same issue. She's going to go on a low oxalate diet and see what happens. So I get that, and so did my mum. Now, does that mean it's genetic or just chance? Don't know. Absolutely no way to prove it. But it's just very interesting that I get this problem. Um, I had it since my kind of late 20s and my mum also gets this and she's had this for 20, 30 years as well. It could be at any age where you start to get presentations of oxalate problems. Part of the issue is though, it's very hard to determine what is actually an oxalate problem. So most people won't even know what oxalates are at all. So they've got no idea when it's starting. It could be at any age, any time when these oxalates reach a certain threshold in essentially that body part, like thyroid or your shoulder bursitis, plantar fasciitis, for example, trochanteric bursitis in your hips, then it's going to start to cause problems. For me, it's in my thumbs is the main issue, but I also get chest pains from oxalates. It probably depends where they're going as well, because if your body is doing a kind of a pretty efficient job and just kind of distributing them wherever it feels like, well, just, you know, pretty pretty uniformly across your body, I should say. And it's putting a little bit here, like a little bit in your brain, a little bit in your thyroid, a little bit in your bone, a little bit in, in your breasts, a little bit in the prostate, a little bit in the gut, a little bit, you know, wherever. It's probably going to take a lot longer to actually reach a threshold in any one particular area before you then get issues. If it's putting it, for example, all in one place, then you might get an issue. And I saw this recently actually with a three-year-old girl with recurrent vulvovaginitis and basically vulvodynia. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's basically essentially painful vulva, painful vagina. And she's three and, you know, she hasn't had any trauma or anything like that. Uh, and she just kind of keeps getting told, she went to the pediatrician and basically just told, yep, some people get it, we don't know why. 
not actually terribly useful. And now this three-year-old girl is has basically got this lifelong problem. And if you've read Sally's book, and if you haven't, you should. She that is how she got onto oxalates was recurrent vulvodynia, and she actually found a vulvodynia foundation. I'll put a link in the episode description for their work. Amazing work. And this girl has probably almost certainly got oxalate issues. It's just that's the one place they're probably going. There's really no reason why a three-year-old should be getting recurrent vulvodynia otherwise. She doesn't have thrush. She doesn't have recurrent UTIs. There's no trauma or anything like that. This is likely to be oxalate toxicity. And she also just happens to eat a very high oxalate diet already at three years old. So she's going to go and do a low oxalate diet with mum. Hopefully we get some results there. 25-year-old, um, I've got a patient with 25-year-old female with chronic recurrent hand pain with Raynaud's phenomenon. Now, if you don't know what Raynaud's phenomenon is, it's basically where you get this kind of intermittent obstruction, so to speak, of blood supply to the hands, typically. can happen in the feet as well, any extremity. And it can be very, very painful. And your hands are just basically pale and cold and painful. And she, no cause was ever identified with her. Now I know it's probably oxalates, but thinking back when I was seeing her previously, I wish I'd known. I feel like I kind of failed it because I didn't know back then. She's now on methotrexate from the rheumatologist and her symptoms are controlled to be fair, but she's on now this chemotoxic medication, which is probably not going to be good for her. Uh, but this is the way it is. Um, 39 year old male with chronic disabling thumb pain. That is me. <laughs> no cause ever identified for my thumb pain, but it resolved with removing the oxalates from the diet. Now, I actually went carnivore, which is a zero oxalate diet, but it hasn't come back when I've added back in sugar into my diet. Now, I know people are in the comments coming, freaking out, saying I'm carnivore and I'm eating sugar. It's fine. It's only a tiny amount. I'm exploring an animal-based diet. It's fine. Not, it's not the focus of today. But the point is they didn't come back when I added in sugar. It came back when I add in oxalates, as does my chest pain. So. You're probably wondering, okay, this is all well and good, but how do I know if I have oxalate problems? Is there any testing that I can be doing? Unfortunately, there isn't really any good testing. There are blood tests, but basically they're pretty much impossible. It's it's a kind of a research thing as far as I'm aware. I still haven't found a lab to actually do a blood test. And even then, probably useless because your body controls the oxalate levels in your blood very, very well by all, all sources I can find. So because it's very toxic to the vascular endothelium. So a blood test wouldn't really tell you much because it's not in your blood. It's kind of in your body, in your tissues, your thyroid, your brain, your breasts, your GI system, all of these places, not in your blood. Urine tests, also not super useful. You can do a 24-hour urine collection for urinary oxalates here in Australia, America, England, et cetera, probably the same. But it's just not really very helpful because you're limited really by how much you can actually excrete in your kidneys. So it doesn't really tell you how much you've got in your body. It doesn't really tell you if you're going through a dumping syndrome, and we'll come back to that. It really just tells you your kidneys are working, you're excreting oxalates. I mean, it's not super, super helpful. It really comes down to a clinical diagnosis from a knowledgeable clinician that actually knows what they're talking about with oxalates, like myself, people like Sally Norton, actually seeing people who know about oxalates. So the next question is, well, how do you know you've got oxalate problems? What kind of symptoms might you get? Well, we spoke a little bit about the symptoms before, 
But these are probably the most common problems I see with people. And I'm actually just going to add another one onto the end of that list. And that is migraines. So iron deficiency. Oh my God, so common. I said literally everyone that walks through my door is iron deficient. GI issues, leaky gut syndrome. Oxalates are a big cause of leaky gut syndrome. Thyroid problems, both high and low, overactive and underactive thyroid. Any autoimmune problem, you probably have issues with oxalates. Any kind of chronic pain syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, MS, like any of these kind of chronic syn syndromes, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, mental health problems. I'm going to come back to that one with a case example later. But mental health, bursitis, shoulder bursitis, for no reason. I see this all the time. Trochanteric bursitis in people's hips, for example. Getting problems with bursitis for no reason. Tendonitis is plantar fasciitis, very common cause as well. And migraines. Migraines is the really big one. You've probably heard people talking about carnivore diet just being amazing for migraines. And the moment they eat vegetables again, the migraines come back. Now, honestly, in my experience, I know the carnivore crowd is going to say, yeah, carnivore is amazing. And it is great for what it is. But honestly, a big part of it is actually the oxalates. And I'm going to come back to that a bit later. So how do we treat them? If we suspect we've got my oxalate issues, how do we treat them? Is there a pill that you can take? No, unfortunately, sadly not. There is not a pill that you can take that's going to get rid of oxalates. There really is no medication other than symptomatic relief. So if you've got gout, if you've got pain, you know, take anti-inflammatories if you can, pain relief, maybe use things like shoulder injections if you've got bursitis, for example. Um, if you do have urinary issues, citric acid can help. So either citric acid, things like lemon juice, lime juice, orange juice, or, um, you know, citric acid tablets if you're wanting to. Increasing calcium and magnesium, or if you're prone to kidney stones, you really should be taking citric acid. Um, increasing calcium and magnesium intake. So these can actually bind the oxalates and help to kind of remove them from your system. Uh, but a note on that, if you eat quite a large amount of calcium and magnesium, it can actually trigger oxalate dumping. So just to be aware of that. And they're really, the treatment is to stop eating them. Stop eating the oxalates and they will eventually go out of your body. As we said earlier, the body can excrete about 50 milligrams a day. So it's going to take time, but they will come out. Now, as far as going to a low oxalate diet, what are your choices? You can either go cold turkey, hardcore, very low or no oxalate diet, like a carnivore diet, for example, or you can do a slow reduction. Cold turkey is quicker. You can hardcore it, you can white knuckle it if you want to, but it can trigger oxalate dumping syndrome, which can be mild or it can be actually quite serious at the same time. Oxalate dumping is this kind of syndrome where we get this sudden dumping of oxalates into the system. Now, the way that I see this is kind of like your body basically is saying, um, Every part of your body is saying, I, had, I don't like these oxalates. They are toxic to me. They are a problem. Get rid of them whenever I can. And when your body gets this green light to kind of get rid of these oxalates, the, my interpretation of that is there's really no kind of um, coordination. And every part of your body is like, they're so toxic, I need to get rid of them. So as soon as they get that green light, 
everything gets tries to get rid of these oxalates. This dumping happens. The problem is they can't go anywhere because they're still limited by the kidneys. So they kind of get retaken up back into the body. And they can cause all sorts of problems, uh, flares of the oxalates, basically. So kidney pain, kidney stones, bladder stones, urinary tract stones, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, rashes, fatigue, weakness, palpitations, joint pains, inflammation, arthritis, autoimmune activation. Any kind of autoimmune system and problem, sorry, can seriously flare when you get oxalate dumping. So if you're on a carnivore diet, you're listening to this and you're having autoimmune problems, it might actually be oxalate dumping. You might just need to white knuckle it um, or eat some more oxalates that can ease the symptoms. So if you want to go, if you do want to go hardcore and you do get this oxalate dumping, which isn't really my recommendation, but you can do if you want to, then it's worth being aware of what oxalate dumping is and when it might happen. Now, again, it's not hard science, poorly understood. It kind of happens in stages. Now, in men, it seems to be maybe like... Sally talks about it in her book. I can't remember exactly, um, but it can happen maybe seasonally. And that's maybe a throwback to when we would have seasonally eaten fruit or preparing us to eat fruit. So we kind of dump, I think, in, in the winter typically, maybe ready for kind of spring and summer to then get those oxalates back in terms of fruit and vegetables and so on. Um, it might be totally random. We don't really know. It's quite poorly understood. We do know there is evidence that women may dump according to menstrual cycle, which is very interesting. And I suspect. So there is actually evidence to support this and uh, some associations and things like PMS, PMDD might actually be caused by oxalate dumping as opposed to the hormones themselves. And the hormones are controlling the dumping or the, the, the kind of the, the metabolism, so to speak, of the oxalates, which is then causing those hormonal problems or what seem to be hormonal problems. Menstrual migraines, again, migraines, a big, big driver towards migraines is oxalates. When you take the oxalates out of the diet, things like menstrual migraines, PMS, PMDD, they often actually go away. And this is reported by women on a carnivore diet, and you do see the same on a low oxalate diet. These menstrual issues do also resolve. Oxalates in foods, it's hard to determine exactly how much oxalates are actually in food. And this is where it becomes tricky. Now, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i got some things on the screen here, but the most common offenders are spinach, no doubt. Pretty much everybody agrees on spinach. It's approximately 700, 750 milligrams per kind of cup of raw, um, about the same in half a cup of cooked spinach. Cooked is actually worse. Rhubarb, about 500 milligrams per cup, I believe. Beetroot's about six or beets, 650, like sugar beet, you know, Swiss chard, things like that. About 650 milligrams per cup, roughly. Nuts varies between the nuts. Some sources say things like peanuts are low. Some say very, very high. Generally, my experience with nuts and my research is that they're pretty high. Seeds, grains, etc., And also potatoes and sweet potatoes. These are actually common problems. Now, I'm going to put a link to... Uh, a, a list that I found. It's a pretty good list. And it's from this uh, St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton. So I'm going to put a link in the description. Um, and it's a pretty good starter list. I'm just showing it on the screen now on YouTube of the kind of the oxalate component of a lot of food. Um, now, soy is a big, big problem. Spinach, chard, beetroot, as I've said here. So spinach, 755 milligrams in, in a half a cup of cooked spinach, as it says on the screen here. So I'm going to put that in the link for the description. Um, but it's hard because the sources do vary, so it's hard to get a really accurate determination. But spinach, rhubarb, beetroot, nuts, potatoes, sweet potatoes, these are probably the biggest problems. 
Raspberries are also an issue as well, which we've heard on a previous podcast with Tracy talking about her daughter with the issues with raspberries and oxalates. My recommendation, and generally people like Sally Norton, I spoke about her a lot, I know, but she is considered pretty much a world expert in this, is to think about doing a staged reduction if you do want to get rid of these oxalates, and I would very much recommend you do want to get rid of them, rather than going cold turkey. So if you do want to do a staged reduction, probably something like stage one, 250 milligrams a day, stage two, 100 to 150 a day, and then stage three and maintenance would be about 50 milligrams a day. Now that will bring you under that 50 milligrams. Bearing in mind, this is total consumption, not absorption. So we're absorbing about 10 to 15% of this. We really want to actually be getting rid of these oxalates. We don't just want to be net zero. We want to get rid of them and it's going to take time. So the lower we can go, the quicker we're going to get rid of them. But if you go too quickly, you're going to get this dumping syndrome. Generally, I'd recommend between one and three months between each stage. So stage one for three months, stage two for three months, and then stage three ongoing from that. Some people may want to do a stage zero, kind of a preliminary stage where they might even do, say, 500 milligrams a day, because I've had people have pretty severe dumping on 250 even uh, because they had really serious autoimmune problems and they had to actually increase it back up. How long might it take to see some results then? Because this is what we really want to know. Well, it depends on how you're doing it. If you're going cold turkey, you're going hardcore, you're going zero oxalate carnivore diet, for example, you're probably going to see benefits within days to weeks. Now, with my thumbs, I saw within two days, the pain had almost completely gone away. But you're very much at risk then of dumping syndrome, which is probably going to flare it pretty badly. Now, if you're aware of that and you're okay with that, no history of kidney stones, you want to white knuckle it, look, that's fine. Be my guest, go ahead. But it can be pretty harsh. Slow reduction, you're probably talking days to months to see those improvements. So it is a leap of faith in your doctor, in someone like me who's talking about oxalates because it's very hard or pretty much impossible to actually test for them. Either way, you're probably going to get some occasional flares of whatever autoimmune problem you've got, for example, or symptoms these oxalates are giving you. At that point, it's really important to remember that doesn't mean that it's causing you a problem. It just means that these oxalates are coming out of your body and the symptoms they're giving you when they're coming out is pretty much the same as when they're going in, which means they're giving you those issues. So getting them out of your body is what you want to do. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about some cases here. So um, 64, I'm just going to do some, some quick cases here. So I've got a 64-year-old female, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, a rare autoimmune arthritis, chronic nausea, no appetite, just generally feeling terrible. Basically just terrible for 20, 30 years of her life. We tried her on a carnivore diet because I thought this would really help her, but she just couldn't tolerate it because of basically just meat aversion and she just wasn't hungry and she just had nausea all the time. A week on a low oxalate diet, specifically not carnivore, just a low oxalate diet, nausea and fatigue started improving. And she actually said that she could now eat. She actually wanted to eat. Her appetite started improving within a week. Six weeks on a low oxalate diet, the flares of her arthritis are less frequent, less severe. She's got less pain. 
no real nausea, the fatigue is going away, the appetite is improving, and she generally just feels a lot more energy, which is incredible for her for the first time in 20, 30 years. Another example, I've got a 69-year-old female came to see me recently, vertigo, tinnitus, chronic arthritis, visual problems. I mean, similar story to a lot of people. Six weeks on a low oxalate diet, all of her symptoms were improving, and she now no longer needs eye surgery, which is unbelievable. Now, I know people are going to say, well, this is not hard science. Where's your evidence? You know, these are not case studies. These are just anecdotes, but they're patients that I've seen that I know I've, I've seen these, these improvements. Um, this case example is me, 39 year old male. I said earlier, chronic thumb arthritis and chest pain. I get this condition called precordial catch syndrome. Where basically you get this kind of real cardiac feeling chest pain because it's innervated by, you know, the cardiac nerves. This didn't go away with low carb or keto diets. I spoke about this previously, but it did go away with a carnivore diet. Now a carnivore diet, of course, happens to be a zero oxalate diet if you're doing a stripped carnivore, which I was. I've noticed it doesn't come back with sugar. Like I can eat two, 300 grams of honey in a day, milk, yogurt, no problem whatsoever. If I eat an avocado, it comes back. And those are reasonably high in oxalates. So it's the oxalates that's causing my thumb arthritis and the oxalates that's causing my chest pain. 67-year-old female, this is not me now, depression for 20 plus years, saw her recently, on an SSRI for pretty much 20 years, six weeks on a low oxalate diet, and she has now almost come off the antidepressants. So she's been on for almost 20 years as her depression is quote unquote gone. Amazing. Six weeks on a low oxalate diet, depression basically just gone. Um, 42 year old male came to see me recently. I was reminded of his case, ADHD, back pain, was eating quite a bit of spinach, thinking this was actually quite useful for him. He actually saw something that I put on my Facebook uh, post because he follows me on Facebook. I decided he would actually stop spinach because he thought maybe it wasn't good for me. He wasn't really enjoying it anyway. No surprise there. Nobody really likes spinach. And actually his back pain is gone. His back pain that he's been taking duloxetine for for you know two, three years now that I put him on a while ago before I was doing carnivore, low oxalate, et cetera. And his back pain's now gone. And he's also noticed his ADHD has improved, which is incredible as well for him. Another example, 73-year-old male I've got with a history of prostate cancer on a watch and wait protocol. Six weeks on a low oxalate diet. Now, it's just interesting. Six weeks seems to be this kind of theme going on here. That's just generally when I get people back for a follow-up because we know that's maybe the kind of time it might take. Six weeks on a low oxalate diet, his PSA, that's prostate-specific antigen, that's basically the marker for monitoring for prostate cancer, has reduced for the first time in over five years. Now, that may be total coincidence. All of these patients may be coincidence, but maybe they're not. Maybe these are actually issues that oxalates can cause. Many, many, many more patients with low oxalates, diets, improving their symptoms, chronic fatigue, chronic pain, depression, anxiety, joint pains. I mean, you name it. Low oxalate diets are improving my patients' lives. There are potentially more associations with oxalates as well or high oxalate diets. So many medical conditions I see. Honestly, I pretty much, like anyone that walks through my door now, I'm talking to them about oxalates in my kind of functional clinic. I'm talking to everybody about oxalates. It's making so much difference to so many people's lives. Honestly, almost anything they've got just, just gets better when they take out oxalates from the diet. 
um, that are potentially linked to things like ADHD, autism, breast cancer, prostate cancer, potentially, as I've mentioned. Now, people out there are going to be saying, hang on, you know, where's, where's your evidence for any of this? Now, as I said, I don't really have any hard evidence and I wish I did. I wish I could find some, but I was actually pulling up some papers earlier and this is just, you know, a, a thing about oxalates. And this is again, you know, just saying here, um, I'll put the links in the description. I'm sharing it on YouTube. Um, variations in dietary oxalates according to resources available. And this is what I was saying about it's hard to get definitive answers for oxalates in terms of, of, of you know, what can, can, can be there. Um, but, uh, you know, I was just pulling up some of these articles. So there's the role of oxalates in autism and chronic disorders, um, which is really interesting that this might actually have a role in autism. And I see this with my daughter, Charlotte. She does have some neurodivergence, no official diagnosis. When we took oxalates out of her diet, she improved. Is she completely back to quote unquote normal? No, but she improved when we took oxalates out of her diet. When she eats too many berries like raspberries, which are pretty high in oxalates, she starts to have some issues again. Interesting coincidence? Maybe not. Um, a potential role for pathogenic role of oxalate in autism. Again, I'm going to put the link in the episode description. Conclusion, hyperoxalemia and hyperoxaluria may be involved in a pathogenesis of ASD, that's autistic spectrum disorders, in children. Whether this is as a result of impaired renal excretion or an extensive intestinal absorption or both, we don't know. Oxalate may cross the blood-brain barrier and disturb CNS function in the autistic children, and this pathophysiology remains unclear. Now, this is not hard evidence. This is not causation. No, this is a cross-sectional, essentially observational study. But it's a potential link. It's an association. I think it raises a question mark on the role of oxalates in autism. Uh, another example here of the paper. So this is associations between dietary intake and ADHD and oxalates are potentially an issue here as well uh, in ADHD. Oxalates induce breast cancer. Again, I'm going to put the links of all these um, studies in the episode description. Um, so in the results section here, we found that all treated, all tested, sorry, breast tumor tissues contain a higher concentration of oxalates than their counterpart non-pathological breast tissue. Moreover, it was established that oxalate induces proliferation of breast cells and stimulates the expression of a pro-tumorogenic gene CFOS. So potentially oxalates also causing or being involved in breast cancer. Now again, is this a interventional study? No, this cannot prove really causation, but they have shown that it can have a carcinogenic effect. Again, going back to the conclusion here, furthermore, oxalate has a carcinogenic effect when injected into the mammary fat pad in mice, generating highly malignant and undifferentiated tumors with the characteristics of fibrosarcomas of the breast. As oxalates seem to promote these differences, it is expected that a significant reduction in the incidence of breast cancer tumors could be reached if it were possible to control oxalate production or its carcinogenic activity. Now, actually, you can't really do much about the oxalate production in the body, but you can certainly do something about the oxalate consumption that you're eating. Going back to that list earlier, you know, spinach, rhubarb, beetroots, nuts, seeds, grains, these are very high potatoes, sweet potatoes. And this is all of these foods that people are eating, thinking they are amazing. Hence, again, you know, the name of Sally's book, Toxic Superfoods, 
excellently named book. Again, link in the description. So all that aside, what's best, carnivore or a low oxalate diet? This is predominantly a carnivore channel, but most of what I'm talking to patients about nowadays actually is a low oxalate diet, to be quite honest with you. If they come in talking about carnivore, I talk carnivore absolutely all day long, no problem. But for most people, for most people, carnivore is just a little bit extreme. It's a little bit too restrictive and they just can't quite bring themselves to do a carnivore diet. They just think it's too restrictive. They think it's too much. But if you talk to them about a low oxalate diet, they're pretty happy because you're basically telling them, look, it can fix all these problems, but you can still eat your salads if you really want to. Now, I don't agree with salads. I don't, I don't want to eat salads. I don't want to eat lettuce and whatever else. But these people, they want to eat those salads. And so it's very hard to get them onto a no oxalate diet like a carnivore. If you talk to them about a low oxalate diet, well, it's a much easier transition point for them. And it's going to give them probably like 90%, if not 95% of the benefits of a carnivore diet without actually going on a carnivore diet. So most of the benefits of carnivore, I actually believe can be had from a low oxalate diet if you can't tolerate or don't want to go on a carnivore diet. So I've spoken for long enough on oxalates. Hopefully I've given you a, a bit of a decent overview of oxalates now in this episode. There's so much more information out there that I could have spoken about. I could talk for hours on this. I've already spoken for 40, 45 minutes, 50 minutes now almost. Where can you go and get some further help? Now, of course, I mentioned Sally's book. Absolutely amazing. Toxic Superfoods. I'll put a link in the description available via Amazon. Absolutely amazing book. Sally goes on to loads of podcasts. Definitely check out her work. She's got a very good website. I direct a lot of patients to her website. Um, the Wizards of Ox, their YouTube channel. Again, I'll put a link in the description for The Wizards of Ox for their YouTube channel. Um, and I think Sally is associated with those as well. If you do particularly have Volvodinia, the Volvodinia Foundation, I'll put a link in there uh, for them in the description as well. If you guys are in Australia, and you want to consult with me, talking about low oxalate or, of course, carnivore diets, then you know you can find me at themeatmedic.com or drsuresh.com.au is my professional website. I'll put that links in the description, of course, as well. Or contact me at social media at themeatmedic or mail at themeatmedic.com. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to this episode. Hopefully, it's been a useful overview into oxalates. I know there's been a lot of doctors asking me about oxalates as well because I keep talking about it to them. Hopefully, this has been some useful information for them as well as you guys. Um, definitely, definitely worth looking at a low oxalate diet, worth looking into oxalates if you have any kind of autoimmune problem, any kind of chronic pain syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, fatigue, tiredness, brain fog, joint problems, bursitis with no trauma, plantar fasciitis, hip pain, joint pain, you know, weird rashes that you can't explain, um, any autoimmune problem, thyroid problems, I mean, you name it, migraines, headache, vertigo, tinnitus. I mean, like tinnitus can be so disabling for people. And we tell people there is no cure, but actually potentially there might be. If you go on a low oxalate diet, I have got patients with tinnitus that is improving for the first time in their life. And these people find tinnitus so, so disabling. It is unimaginable what these people are going through with tinnitus. It sounds so benign, but it's so much of a problem for them. They just may improve from a low oxalate diet, which is absolutely incredible. 
Thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I will leave it there. If you do want more information, check out themeatmedic.com. And if you do want consultations with me, then get in touch by social media or mail at themeatmedic.com. Thank you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.